Uh, if you are here for the first time, we're so thankful that you decided to worship with us today. You know, we, uh, we hope and pray, you know, every single, every single week, week after week, we, we celebrate that we serve a, a big God. Uh, we do that in many different ways, but at, with, in this year-end offering, we just love to see the goodness of God um, shine through the church as we just uh, make a sacrificial offering to the Lord and just celebrate how big our God is, uh, who's all over the world laboring, laboring and moving. Um, but today we're ending, ending the story of Samson in the book of uh, the Judges. Uh, we're not ending the book of Judges. We still have two more weeks of that, but we're ending Samson, looking at the last two scenes of his story, and he is the last judge in the book of uh, judges, uh, and as we saw last week, the life of Samson is not by any means an ordinary and simple life. And last week we saw an angel announce his birth uh, in chapter 13 in scene one, uh, and then we, following that we saw him in scene two of chapter 14, uh, we saw him grow up, we saw him kill a lion with his bare hands, uh, get married, and then take out 30 men single-handedly to pay off a debt. Uh, or a bet. You know, I think we can agree there is something a little bit unique about the life of Samson. Uh, he's, he's almost like the grand finale of the judges. Um, his story, it is the most popular book, uh, most popular judge in the book of Judges for a reason. Um, it just kind of tells and reads like a movie thrill. Uh, and this week in scene three and four of the life of Samson uh, in chapter 15 and 16, they're really just no different. Um, the life of Samson, it is a bit Rambo-esque, um, kind of portraying himself like a a modern day superhero with superhuman strength. And as we saw last week, yes, he's got great strength and power. Um, he's shown great strength in his outer life, but his inner life is very fragile. And as we get into this, I want, I want to get to our main idea pretty quickly because there's a lot of things going on in this story um, and it, with a lot of thrills that are happening. And honestly, it would be kind of, it would be pretty easy to get lost in the thrill of the story and totally miss where we're going. And we'll see as we make it through our story as our main idea that God, he graciously renews our strength. And the reason I say graciously is because as we'll see with Samson, he's going to need a lot of grace. Uh, yes, Samson is a war hero with incredible strength, but he's also pretty reckless and destructive. And we will see his anger just kind of flare up a bit today and go down the path, go down a path that he really has no business going down. I mean, he keeps finding himself in these pickles because of his pride and his recklessness. And so, yes, Samson has great strength, but we'll also see Samson, uh, we'll see him a few times, need to find renewal. Um, he gets tired and weary. He go, he'll go through some pretty low points, uh, but time and time again, again, we'll see God show up, display grace to Samson, and then renew him. And I'm hoping by the end of our time today, uh, each of us here today will find hope and encouragement as we wrestle through just the rest, the chaos of life that life, life can bring at us. You know, I'm hoping that we'll be encouraged to continue on to fight against sin and evil. Um, just seeing the renewing nature of God that we've, we have day, a day after day in spite of our own sin and rebellion. And if you're here today, and if you're beat down uh, by the world, maybe beat down by the pace of life, beat down against, like, with the fight against sin, today is for you. You know, I, I know as we go through this story, 90% of this story is just pure chaos and craziness, um, which as a dad with uh, four kids seems to be the norm. Um, our, our story highlights just the chaos and emotion and frustration and struggles of Samson's life. But at the end of each scene, We'll see just a small but incredible sweet moment of God's mercy and renewing grace. 
We'll see uh, Bonehead Samson. Uh, he's reckless, uh, but we'll also see it contrasted with God's incredible patience and grace. And to give you, again, just a kind of an, an idea of how we're going to use our time, kind of like last week, we're going to spend, uh, like, we're going to spend a lot of our time going through the story and seeing uh, these first, these last two scenes of Samson's life in chapters 15 and 16, um, kind of working in two continuations as a continuation from last week. Um, scene, scene three out of chapter 15, we'll see the reckless rampage. And then in scene four in chapter 16, we're going to see the weakened warrior. Scene three is the action-packed Rambo-style war scene. And then scene, uh, scene four, we're going to see Samson's downfall, falling prey to his own passions and seduction and infatuation. And if you remember from last week in chapter 14, we saw, we saw Samson. He got married to a Philistine girl um, who was off limits according to the Lord. Um, she turned on him, causing him to lose a bet. And then he paid off his dues, as we said, by killing uh, 30 men. That was last week. In the end of chapter 14, it says, he went back to his father's house in hot anger. He was not happy, I guess we could say. And then it says, his wife was given to him, it was given to his companion, who was his best man. So they gave his wife away to his best man. And so in short, he, he lost his temper and he lost his wife in the process, which leads us into scene three of the Samson story, seeing the reckless rampage. You know, as the story continues in chapter 15, we see that Samson, he waited a few days until the wheat harvest, uh, and he went to visit his wife with a goat to make mends in their relationships. With that is just my type of date, uh, going to a farm and a goat. And her dad is like, no, um, I'm sorry you can't be with my daughter. I thought you hated her, so I gave her to your friend. And then dad is like, why don't you just take, uh, have, have her uh, younger sister instead? And Samson's like, wait a second. What are you talking about? What? what? And Samson, he's not real happy about this. And thus the, ang uh, the angry rampage begins. So look at chapter four and five of, uh, verse four and five of chapter 15. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes. That's exciting. And took torches, and he turned them to tail, tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had, had when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistine, and set fire to the stacked grain in the standing grain, as well as the olive orchard. So Samson again, he's angry, he's fuming, and he catches three hundred foxes by himself, ties their tails together, sets them on fire, and then cuts them loose, destroying all of the grain fields the harvest fields. And this is one of those fa famous Samson pictures uh, where he's got his long and flowing hair um, holding, the two, holding some foxes by the tail with everything in flames around him. And the Philistines are like, who did this? And they find out Samson did it because, he, uh, because they took his wife. And what did the Philistines do? Well, it says they took his wife and her dad and it says they set them on fire. Like it's just pure evil and wickedness. And maybe you're asking, why would God have Samson do this? Well, God didn't have Samson do this. No, Samson never consulted the Lord and he did this all in his own strength and not by the Lord's direction. He destroyed these fields and all the food out of his anger and not by the Lord's directives because back in verse four it said, he would be innocent in regard to the Philistines. 
He wasn't innocent in regards to the Lord's, and he knew it. Samson wasn't obeying the Lord. No, he was being reckless, and he was going on a rampage, doing what the Philistines often did in their own wickedness. He was playing their own game against them. And, and in return, it cost, them, uh, it cost him his own wife, and it led the Philistines to kill his wife and her dad. Just a total tragedy. But yet, that's what the Philistines did. This was their normal way of life. And then what happened? Did Samson turn to the Lord? No. Look what it says in verse 7 and 8. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. So he got mad. Uh, he, he got them back by striking them hip and thigh. And most honestly, most commentators aren't really sure what he means. they mean there. Um, uh, I guess he just kind of, uh, he did some sort of wrestling move and tied, uh, move and tied them all together. Um, maybe some sort of jujitsu and said, don't mess with me again. And, he let, and then he left to go sleep in a cave. Uh, it, it says the cleft of a rock. That's what it says. Well, the Philistines, they didn't like this. So they basically de- declared war on God's people. And look what it says in verse 10. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we have come up to bind Samson to do him as he did to us. Again, the Philistines, they wanted payback against Samson. And so Judah, which is God's people, there's 3,000 of them. They went and found Samson and were like, what are you doing here? Will you please stop poking the bear and making the Philistines angry with us? Don't you know that they rule over us? And Samson's like, we all calm down. I'm just doing to them what they did to me. And let's just say they didn't like that very much because they ended up tying up Samson and gave, them over to, and gave him over to the Philistines. And when the Philistines saw Samuel, they were shouting with anger and excitement. Look at what it says in verse 14 and 15. Look what it says happened. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became his flax that has caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hands and took it and with it he struck a thousand men. And so the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson and by a miracle of God, the ropes caught fire and he was able to get out and he finds a jawbone of a donkey and he took that jawbone and he single-handedly killed a thousand men. And then in verse 16, we would see him uh, kind of give a, a, he made a song, a rhyme uh, in the original language. It's kind of as a way to remember what he was doing. I'm not going to sing it, but this is what it says in verse 16. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. And I know this seems a little bit off the wall here, but I'm just saying when I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger this past week on Monday Night Football feeding his donkey uh, on like, just like, my first thought was, I don't know how I'm going to weave this in here, but that is the most Samson thing I think I've ever seen. Okay. Like Samson, he killed a thousand men with the jaw of a donkey. And we think, oh, wow, that's really cool. But yet he was also being reckless in doing it because it went against his vow that God gave him, as we saw last week. He wasn't supposed to be touching dead animals, which is why afterwards the text emphasized that he threw it down. And so, yes, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him to empower him to fight against God's enemies, but yet even as he was empowered by the Spirit, as we talked about last week, he still lacked the fruits of the Spirit of self-control. So God, he empowered Samson with great gifts of strength to be used for the Lord, given by God, but yet he still lacked fruit to the Spirit. 
And just as we talked about last week, like these cannot be separated. We can't separate the fruits of the Spirit from the gifts of the Spirit. Because as we see, that's exactly what happened with Samson, and the results were tragic. He was reckless and destructive, responding in hot anger, and he was not being gentle and, self, and being self-controlled. His life, it was a bit out of order. Uh, he was running really, really hard in life, and in the process, he's making mistakes. His anger is getting the best of him, and in, in, like, just in the craziness of life. Again, just like we saw last week, the story of Samson, it points us to Jesus. The life that Samson could not live by that vow, Jesus lived perfectly. Jesus is the truer and better Samson. Like when Samson was wrong, when he was wronged by others, he sought revenge. Then he was reckless and it, and it cost him his wife and her dad, their life. But Jesus, when he was wronged, he showed wisdom and patience. And when others wronged him, he didn't seek revenge. No, he gave up his life at the cross so that the, those that wronged him could have eternal life. Jesus didn't seek revenge out of his wrath. No, he sought reconciliation and forgiveness and made a way by taking on the wrath that you and I deserved. Jesus is the truer and better Savior. Again, he didn't seek revenge for our sin. No, he took our sin at the cross. And then Jesus offers us forgiveness and grace in spite of our sin. Like, that's the gospel. When we put our faith in Jesus, he takes our sin and he gives us his pure and perfect record that was without sin. We don't earn God's favor. There's nothing we can do to make God love us anymore like, or love us any less. No, at the cross, Jesus gave his, his free gift to us. It's a free gift of grace. And if you're here today, like this can be yours today. You can be clean and free from all of your sin, past, present, and future, not by anything that you do, but all, only by what Jesus has done on the cross. It's by putting our faith in Jesus. It's by faith alone that we're saved. But as the chapter ends, I can't help but notice how we see this grace and kindness of the Lord in spite of Samson's, like this reckless rampage that he has going on. Because look what happens in verse 18. It says, in ver- it says and he was very thirsty, And he called upon the Lord and said, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? So so Samson, he's tired, he's worn out, he's been fighting for a long time. He's a a warrior, so he he was weary, he was thirsty, he was being used by the Lord in different ways, fighting against God's enemies, but he was still tired and he was worn out. Yes, he had great divine strength, but he was also human. He also needed help. And one of the very few times in the book of Judges, we see a judge in a time of need cry out to the Lord for help. We often would see God's people cry out for the help after their rebellion. But here, Samson cries out to the Lord. It says he called upon the Lord. Samson, he prayed to the Lord as he was tired and weary. He prayed when he was tired and when he was worn out. And I can't help but see this as the Lord's kindness kindness to a reckless Samson. Because look what it says in verse 19 and 20. And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore the name of it was called En Hekor. It is at Lehi to this day, and he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. 
And so in a time of great need and fatigue, Samson cried out to the Lord and God responded with divine power to revive and restore Samson. Like his spirit returned, it says. And then to, to end the scene, it says he judged uh, for 20 years. But before we move on to chapter 16 in the next scene here, I want to stop here and just point out the grace of God on Samson's life just to restore him out of his weariness. Because yes, the Spirit of God was using him, but at the same time, he was also walking in disobedience almost the entire time. He was reckless, he ignored his counsel, he broke his vow, he sought revenge against the Philistines apart from the ways of God. He was not acting like a man of God, no, he was acting like a Philistine that opposed God. He was living in rebellion, in recklessness, but yet as soon as he called out to the Lord, did God shame him? Did God reject him? Did God say, you sinful Samson, uh, you broke the vow? No, God didn't do that. Could God have done that? Well, yes, but he did not do that. No, God responded to Samson with mercy and grace. God miraculously provided water to restore Samson, and it was an act of grace to Samson. He gave Samson what he did not deserve. And I can't help but think of how true this is for us today, for those who are in, who are in Christ and have given their life to Jesus. For Samson, this refreshing and this restoring water that, he, that God provided, it was not, like that was not guaranteed for anybody during this time. That Doing that was by no means a normal thing. But for us today, those who are in Christ, the refreshing water of God's mercy and grace, it is available to us every single day. When we live in sin and rebellion and recklessness like Samson, uh, we don't have to fear the Lord. No, shame tells us to stay away from the Lord, but that is not from God. No, the cross of Jesus has given us divine favor that allows us to cry out to God just as Samson did and beg for refreshing water that restores our souls. Shame, it keeps us from crying out to God, but New City Jesus, he died on the cross and he took our shame so that we can come to God and find grace and mercy in our time of need. The cross of Jesus Christ, it grants us unlimited access to the refreshing water of God's mercy and grace. Yes, Samson, he was reckless, but yet God was gracious. And New City, this is our God. When we cry out to the Lord for those who have given their life to Jesus, when we cry out to God, God is always ready to listen to us and to hear our prayers and to restore us. When we pray, this is what we do. Yes, prayer, it's making requests to God, but even more than that, prayer, it restores our hearts and souls. When we're intimate with the Lord in prayer, this is how God restores us. This is how God refreshes our weary spirits, just like God did with Samson. And so listen, if you're tired and weary today, cry out to the Lord. Let him restore your soul, because our God, he is a restoring and healing God. And so that scene three, we saw reckless, uh, reckless, we saw the reckless rampage. And then now in scene four, uh, we see the weakened warrior. I know in, in, scene, in scene four, we see a different Samson than chapter 15. In chapter uh, 16, scene four, we see his weakness when it comes to women, specifically in his desire, seeing how, um, they, how they weaken him as a warrior, as we'll see. But as we step into chapter 16, Samson's recklessness is still on full display because we see that it, we see that it says, uh, Samson, he went to a city called Gaza and he slept with a prostitute, it says. 
And the people of the town find out he's there. And so they set up an ambush at the gate of a city. Um, they, they're kind of waiting. All these people, they're waiting for Samson all night long um, so they can catch him and they can kill him. They're at the door. They're, they're waiting at the door of the city. And look what it says in verse 3. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and he put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. So they're at the gate, again, they're at the gate of the city, they're waiting on him, and so what does he do? Well, he just decides to show off a bit, and he pulls the door post out of the ground, and he just takes the entire door. He just moves the door just to say all that, that their ambush, let's just say it didn't work, okay? And look at verse 4. And then after this, it says he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And so in case you're wondering, this is now the fourth woman um, introduced to Samson in this book from the Philistines that we know of at least. The first two are in chapter 15. We, we saw his wife and then we saw them, uh, they, were, they tried to give him her younger sister. And then the third was the prostitute and now the fourth is Delilah, none of which were acceptable to the Lord, not because uh, of like, because of them in themselves, but because specifically they opposed God. They were Philistines that opposed God. We see over and over again that Samson was fighting against the Philistines, but he also tried to play nice with the Philistines. And so he kept them kind of close and in his corner because, well, he liked their women. And then look what the Philistines say to Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him and we, may, and, and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver and so they say, they say to Delilah, seduce Samson and find out what makes him strong and then we'll kind of give you some money. Look at verse six. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound uh, that one could subdue you. Can we just acknowledge here uh, that Samson should have been a little curious about this? Uh, like it's like, hey Samson, I, I come from the enemy's side uh, we, have a, we have a history of trying to kill you, um, but can you tell me where your strength comes from and how we can take away this strength? You know, I'm all about finding, uh, looking for red flags in relationships, but this seems like a pretty big one. Um, does he end the relationship? Uh, does he get out of town? Does he turn to the Lord? No, he just decides to lie to her and says, if I get tied up by seven fresh bowstrings um, they haven't been, that haven't been dried, then I will lose my strength like, uh, and be like the other men. And so what does she do? Well, she goes and gets seven fresh bowstrings and tied him up, and then the men were waiting to ambush him, attack, and then they attack him. Well, she did warn them. Uh, she snaps, uh, he snaps the bowstrings, and it didn't work. Now, again, this all seems like a pretty big red flag. The girl you're in love with just tied you up and had guys waiting to kill you. Um, they tried it out, but it didn't all work out. Again, seems like wisdom would say time to end the relationship. Um, I don't think this is going to work. Does he do that? Well, no. Rather, she says to him, you've mocked me and lied to me. Tell me, this, tell me the truth. How can we take your strength? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. My bad. You actually need to use new ropes. She tries it all over again. It didn't work again. Same story, different verse, right? She says, you've mocked me and lied to me. Tell me uh, how to take your strength. And Samson then says, oh yeah, okay, um, I'm sorry. Like maybe you should weave seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with a pin and then he'll be, and then I'll be like all these other men. 
And at this point we're thinking, okay, like what, what's happening here? You're actually getting a bit closer to the truth, but she tries it and it, did, and it doesn't work. And look starting in verse 15, look what she says. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death and he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and shall become weak and be like any other man. And so he finally told her the truth. If they cut his hair, he loses his strength. But this is all a bit ironic because he says he kept the Nazarite vow from birth, which gave him strength, which we know that's not true. Like he's broken the vow already several times in different ways, but not quite yet with his hair. And so listen, Samson's hair did not give him strength. No, God gave him strength. Yes, his hair symbolized strength to him. His hair reminded him of the Lord's strength, but it didn't give him strength. No, the strength came from the Lord. Yes, his hair was an outward symbol of a God-given reality. Samson looked to his hair to remind him of the, of, this, of, his, of the Lord's strength. Just like us today, we look to the cross to remember that the Lord is with us. But Samson, he told her as he believed, he said his strength was in his hair. But what did Delilah do? She, so she called up the Philistines. She had Samson fall asleep on her lap and they shaved off his hair while he slept. But this time, the Philistines, they didn't ambush him like the others. No, Delilah began to torment him, it says. And in verse 19, it says, his strength left. And the Philistines came and he tried to shake himself free. But then it says in the second half of verse 20, it says, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. And again, he lost his strength because the Lord left him. Not because he broke the vow that he had already broken in the past, not because he cut his hair. His hair just symbolized his strength leaving. Again, he lost his strength because the Lord left him and likely because of his continued rebellion and how he rejected the Lord through his actions. Which I must say, New City, God does not do this with us today. In the Old Testament, yes, the Spirit of God, it would come and go. But today, because of the resurrection of Jesus, because Jesus rose from the dead, the Spirit is always with us at all times. Those who call on the name of the Lord, we always have access to the Spirit of God. But then it says, they seized him and they put him in prison. In verse 22, it says, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Again, showing and kind of symbolizing here that his strength is being returned. But as the story of Samson ends, the Philistines, they gather, they make a sacrifice, and they rejoice that they've captured Samson. They call, him for him to, they call on him to, to come in and to entertain them as a means to just like celebrate that he's been captured, and they want to mock him, and they also want to mock the Lord. And, they, and then they had him stand between the pillars as they're holding him. And he just says, hey, can I, can I stand against the pillars? And he's, there's 3,000 men and women celebrating in this place and they're all just watching Samson. And look what it says in verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord, o Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And then what does he do? 
We grabbed the two side, the two middle pillars, and he was willing to sacrifice himself to kill the Philistines, and in his strength, he pushes over the pillars, and the house fell with 3,000 people in it, and Samson also fell to his death with all the Philistines dying with him. So Samson, he sacrificed his life to kill those who opposed God. It says in the second half of verse 30, so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. And then his family, they all come in and they found him and they buried him with his dad, kind of ending the Samson story. Again, we saw in, back in chapter 13 that God set apart Samson from his, from his birth uh, to, so that he would begin to save Israel from the Philistines. That was what we saw the angel declare over Samson's life. And here at Samson's death, at his death, we see him take out 3,000 Philistines keeping the Lord's promise. But in the last like 15 minutes of our time today, we have to ask, what do we take away from these two chapters in the life of Samson? So I've got four takeaways here. Uh, and the first is number one, don't be seduced by the enemy. Throughout the entire story of Samson, we see Samson playing in the sandbox with his en en enemy, the Philistines. And what happened? Well, he played nice and his enemy seduced him towards his downfall. And so for us today, as followers of Jesus, we must also know that we have an enemy in the devil that is waging war against us, trying to seduce us into sin and temptation. And so just think about the life of Samson. The very first instance we see in the life of Samson back in chapter 14 was Samson seeking to mar marry a gir girl from the enemy territory. And in chapter 15 today, we, see, we saw Samson trying to make men's with the enemy by bringing a goat to get his wife back. And then not to mention, he also used the enemy's tactics in his anger to seek revenge. And then in chapter 16, we saw the same thing with him sleeping with the prostitute and falling in love with Delilah, another Philistine woman who was actively trying to seduce him and destroy him. He was trying to play in the same sandbox with his enemy, the Philistines, that God opposed. And so on one side... Samson, he was warring against those uh, that opposed him. He knew that the Philistines were his enemy, but on the other side, he also kind of liked it. He liked the enemy side from time to time because he kept kind of just wandering over there. Time and time again, he kept finding himself just kind of drifting over into enemy territory, using the enemy's tactics and turning a blind eye when he saw the enemy working. I mean, Delilah, we saw, she, she literally tried to kill him three times before she actually captured him on the fourth time. And the entire time we're sitting here watching this whole thing, we're listening to this thing happen, and we're like, Samson, like, what are you doing? You're a bonehead. What are you doing? The girl is trying to destroy you. And yet he just ignores it, and he stays with her. And the entire time we're thinking, Samson, get your act together. Wake up. What are you doing? And yet this is exactly what we do with our sin. We turn a blind eye to the destructive nature of sin because, well, sometimes we actually kind of like it. Like there's no way Samson would have stayed with Delilah in all of this craziness as she's trying to kill him and take his strength if he didn't actually enjoy kind of like being with Delilah. This is what sin does to us. This is why it's so hard to overcome because if we're honest, sometimes we just kind of like it. We know we shouldn't do it, but yet we do 
Maybe that's like you intellectually know in your right mind, uh, you know it's not good, but yet in your passion, you know you want it, and so you go for it. Or maybe that thing that you want to buy, you know you don't have the money, you know you shouldn't, but yet in your passion, you still kind of want it, and so you go for it. Or maybe that the food or that relationship or that fill in the blank, whatever it is, this is the way sin work, works. It's deceptive, it's cruel, and it's overwhelmingly tempting. Like we know in our right mind we shouldn't want this. We know we shouldn't lie to our spouse or friend. We know we shouldn't cheat on the test or taxes or expense report. We know we shouldn't lie about the hours we worked or the things that we've done, but yet our desire causes us, like Samson, to turn a blind eye, ignore it, and to be seduced by the enemy. At the end of the day, when we sin, to be adamantly direct about this, whenever we sin and follow our desires, we're being seduced by the devil. We're following into his traps. Like we know these things are off limits, but yet we're, we still kind of like it. And so we play nice with the enemy, just like Samson did. The new city, what did this do to Samson? Well, it led to his downfall. It destroyed him. It led to him being captured by the enemy. It led to his mockery and being imprisoned to the enemy, which leads us to say next from the story, number two, be watchful over your weaknesses. Yes, Samson was very strong and gifted, but he also had weaknesses in his life that led to his downfall. He thought his weakness was having his hair cut off, but his true weakness were, was being seduced by Delilah, the enemy. Like he, Samson, he didn't know his true weakness. We see over and over again that women in the life of Samson were his weaknesses. He was easily seduced. He was easily lured by the overwhelming desire of wanting to be loved by women he couldn't have. And again, it led to his downfall. And, and again, I don't know what your weakness is, but I do know we all have them. And maybe it's like Samson, it's wanting to be wanted by the opposite sex, or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's wanting to be noticed at work or noticed or to make a lot of money or to want a bunch of stuff or to want to be liked or to want just the easy life. Or maybe it's substance abuse or alcohol or drugs, whatever it is, we all have them and we likely have a few of them. But as I say that, we must be watchful of these things, be aware of them and be open and honest about them. Y'all, not once did we see Samson bring others into his weakness with the Philistine girls. No, he kept it in hiding, and he never asked for the Lord's help. He just kind of ignored it, and he never did anything with it. No, said we can't do this. We must be open and honest and transparent with those around us about our weaknesses. Like, if we think uh, we don't have any weaknesses, maybe pride is our weakness, because we all have them, and none of us are immune to them. Again, we must be open and honest about them and have others helping us watch over them with us. Y'all, one of Samson's many downfalls that he, was that he did everything in isolation. He didn't have a community around him. He didn't have an army helping him. No, he totally relied on his own strength and power. And if Samson, a man with superhuman strength, couldn't do it, we'd be utterly foolish to think that we can do this on our own. New City, we need people around us helping us and living life with us. Y'all, this is what our groups are for. If you're not in a group, get into a group. We need our groups and people around us far more than we realize. But the next, yes, we have these weaknesses and struggles, and I know this is like heavy. But church, praise the Lord that number, two, number three, the Lord helps us in our time of need. Twice in the Samson story. We saw Samson cry out to the Lord and twice we saw the Lord respond and answer. 
He, Samson cried out to the Lord when he was thirsty and when he was tired and weary and the Lord provided water to restore him from his weariness. He also cried out to the Lord when he was in chains, when he was enslaved by the enemy. He asked for strength to go against the Philistines and what did God do? God showed up, God showed off and he provided strength for Samson. He, he, he provided strength to follow and defeat the enemy's tactics. And no, I can't guarantee when we pray, we'll always find restoration from our weariness and strength to defeat the enemy every time in our own desired timing. But we better believe we can have a lot of confidence that when we pray for strength and renewal from our weariness and we cry out to the Lord for strength from the enemy's tactics, we can have a lot of confidence that the Lord loves and and delights to provide renewal and strength. New City, this is the character of God. Like it is in God's character for him to do this. This is what God does. God is a renewing and a strengthening God and and his mercies are new every morning. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we don't have to wait for God to do a miracle like we see with Samson to find refreshment. No, the cross of Jesus, where Jesus bled and died and rose from the dead, that is our guarantee and our promise that the Spirit of God is alive and active. The resurrection is God's promise to us that the restoring nature of God is real and true. We don't, ha- we don't need God to burst open something for us today to find renewal and strength. No, Jesus came bursting out of the empty tomb to do that for us, to provide by the Spirit's help to do that day after day after day. Yes, is sin alluring and deceitful and seductive? Yes, sure is. But is the strength and renewal that God provides, is it sufficient for the day? Absolutely. The Spirit of God is alive and active. Jesus rose from the dead. Again, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I do know that when we come to the Lord begging for help, crying out to the Lord in prayer, specifically for for prayer, uh, for renewal, from our weariness, especially when we're laboring for the Lord, God loves to provide us and to renew our strength. He loves to provide us with help. But also when we come to the Lord and we cry for help uh, from strength from the enemy's tactics, When we're enslaved by the enemy, the Lord loves to provide strength and he doesn't just give us strength, but he also goes to battle for us. God helps us in our darkest hours and he strengthens us day after day after day. And he also strengthens us with the hope that one day the enemy will be totally destroyed and put away. In the end, God wins completely and totally. And the enemy of God will no longer be fighting against us. And to that we can say, praise the Lord. And lastly, as we end our time, I love what Pastor J.D. Greer said about this this text as uh, number four, New City, it is never too late to cry out to God. You know, at at the end of Samson's life, when he had been captured, put in prison with 3,000 people mocking him, seeming as if he was just totally done with nothing left, what did Samson do? He cried out to the Lord. He begged God for strength, for just one more act of divine strength. And what did God do? He answered. And at the end of his life, when it seemed as if the enemy had won, Samson came back with the Lord's strength and he had the greatest victory of his life. Samson died doing exactly what God called him to do, which was to begin to save Israel from the Philistines. Samson, he could have thrown in the towel and he could have coasted through life in prison with the enemy, but he didn't do that. 
No, after Samson's greatest downfall had his hair cut off and over time we saw his hair slowly grow back symbolizing uh, that God was renewing him and beginning to re-strengthen him and after his greatest downfall with Delilah and after a life of recklessness God used Samson to defeat the enemy God used Samson to, to do what he called him to do Samson didn't coast into apathy no he cried out to the Lord and the Lord answered him and listen, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know this. God is a God of second chances. He's a God of thirds and fourths and fifths and on and on. Our God does not give up on his people. He did not give up on Samson and he will not give up on you. Again, I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've been, but I know this. If we are in Christ, when we cry out to the Lord, it doesn't matter if we're at the end of our life. It doesn't matter if we're in the depths of our depravity. It doesn't matter if we're in the pit of a deep cycle of sin and brokenness. It doesn't matter how weary and tired we are. Our God is a God that does not give up on us. And when we cry out to him, he answers and he hears our prayers. Will he answer us how we'd like him to answer all the time? No. But does he hear our prayers? And does he answer us in his time? Yes, absolutely. You know, our God is not absent. He doesn't, he doesn't push us away because of our recklessness, because of our sin and rebellion. But God, he is merciful. He is gracious and he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he's always waiting on us just to get on our hands and knees and to cry out to him for help. New City, our God is a redeeming and a restoring and a reviving God. Do we have an enemy at work just waiting for our downfall? Yes. Do we have weaknesses that we need to invite others into and be watchful of? Yes. But is our God a restoring God that fights for us and with us and waiting and willing to answer us in our time of need? Absolutely. Our God stands by us and is with us. He doesn't come with recklessness and pride like Samson looking for vengeance on us. No, Jesus displayed his love for us, showing his renewing love at the cross in resurrection. And how do we know this all to be true? How can we trust this? Because Jesus didn't leave the cross. No, Jesus, he knew all of our sin. He knew everything that was going on around us and he did not, knew, no, he did not leave the cross. He knew all of our sin, past, present, and future, and yet he still stayed on the cross because he loves us. And so because of that, we can know that he won't leave us today. In God's overwhelming, gracious, and steadfast love, God stays with us in our trouble, and he's always waiting on us to call out to him. You're sitting, no matter where you are, God is calling on us to call out to him so that he can restore us and renew us. Would you, would you cry out to him today? If you're weary and if you need strength, would you cry out to him today? Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. God, you provide us day after day with renewing strength and power. I don't know what is going on in the hearts of the people, all of the hearts of the people in here, but I know that you are renewing God that loves for your people to cry out to you to, to strengthen us, to renew us, to restore us. God, the weariness that is going on inside of this room, whatever is happening in the hearts of our people, would you restore us yet again today? It is in your character to do so. We love you. We ask for help and strength. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.